Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. On your radio and in the game, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, got good news for you. Looking at the uh, extended forecast, I'm I'm just looking at the one for Oxford, but this applies to most of North Mississippi and maybe to a lesser degree to the southern part of the state as well. So it's hot today, 95 degrees. The low is going to be in the mid-70s. Maybe a little bit better tomorrow, a little bit better this weekend. But when you look at the long-range forecast and you're thinking about the start of the college football season... Friday, August 30th, a high of 83. Saturday, August 31st, a high of 84. And then 83 on that Sunday. And then on Monday, just a high of uh, 86. That's Labor Day, September 2nd. So, fall is not exactly beating on the door, but at least maybe a little bit of a break from the, uh, the hot, hot, hot temperatures we've had over the last few days. Maybe that makes it feel a little bit more like football season or sound like it's going to feel more like football season. Good Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Glad to have you along on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. You can find a branch location near you in North Mississippi, or you can just go to their website and grab the phone number, mslandbank.com. Did I sound irrationally excited about a 14-day forecast? No, and buddy, I would take a high of 83 every day for the rest of my life. That is just fine for football. Pretty darn good. Uh, for, for whatever reason, I was out and had a few minutes to spare this morning and found myself uh, on the side of town where it would be easy, and I had my golf clubs in the truck, and so I went out and I hit range balls for about, oh, probably about half an hour. And, ooh, swampy. It it didn't take long. It was like, okay, the first 10 minutes were okay, and then you're like, man, I'm sweating like crazy. Oh, get that nasty towel off my golf bag just to wipe my face. Uh, kind of one of those kind of days. And uh, maybe we've got a little bit of rain that will uh, join us as well. Hey, Dad, what's up on a Wednesday? Not much. I, I haven't done much outdoor stuff today, so I've been able to avoid the, the swampiness that you have spoken of. Yeah, and uh, you don't really have to worry about what the uh, temperature is going to be like on opening day because you will be inside the uh, Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Everything I've ever heard about their press box tells me I might need to bring a jacket. Yeah. Yep. I think it's also like that in uh, in Houston. Like If you're ever uh, at, uh, what is it, Reliant State? I don't know the name. NRG Stadium. Uh, Colt, do you remember that, Rippy, from last year being cold in the press box at NRG last year? I do not. I remember that it was inside. Yeah, well, it just wasn't hot. How about uh, how about that? How's your uh, your Wednesday? Fine, just another day. Yeah. You you. I don't know if I've explained this to you or not, but this is more of a like a spoken word medium, a vocal medium 
you know, if, if for for like a Twitter response, fine would be great. But you know, if you could elaborate a little bit, I thought this was television. Really, newsflash: no pictures to go along with it, except the uh, the beautiful ones that you paint uh, between your ears inside your own head. You went to football practice today. I did. They wore uh, the white helmets, but they painted them powder blue. So they had that going on. Other than that, you're in the doldrums of fall camp. It's week three. They know what they are. They know exactly what their issues are. And those things are not changing between now and August 31st. Hey, Dad. A little media availability in Starkville today, right? Yeah, we talked to uh, three different assistant coaches, which is the first time we've gotten a chance to talk to assistants outside of uh, the one media day. So that was good and uh, some good stuff there. Borky, your vacation starts in, what, two hours and 50 minutes? Is that right? Yeah, something like that, even though the flight doesn't leave until tomorrow morning. Couldn't get anything to uh, to get us out of here tonight. So, Don't stand up on the plane when it lands. Stay seated. Yeah, see, I hate those people. And, and my wife so bad wants us to like get off first, but we're going nowhere. And... I don't say anything to anybody in public unless I absolutely have to, but there was one guy that was like rushing down the aisle and his suitcase banged my elbow. And this is when we were on the way back from our honeymoon. We, we'd spent one day too long in Jamaica. Believe it or not, there's a time limit that you can spend in a country like that. And we were on the final flight. This is, at, like, this is when we get to Jackson. So the, the trip is over. Wedding, all well, that stuff is over. Let, let me interrupt your, uh, your, your momentum here just for a second. You were on a Caribbean island with your brand new wife, and you were ready for it to be over? And so was she. It's just, there was something about Jamaica. It was was a cool place. We had a lot of fun. But there was something about Jamaica where we learned that there's a a four-day limit. Once you get into day five and a half, you're kind of ready to be out of there. Okay. Carry on with your story. And... He, he's, he gets up and he like tries to rush down the aisle, but they don't open the door yet because they don't open the door yet. And there's a whole plane full of people that also, when they get their chance, want to stand up. But he's rushing to the front and he bangs my elbow. And I was in such a bad mood. And I said words that I can't repeat to him on the radio. And the guy behind me laughed. But that was the only time I've ever gotten into a like a verbal confrontation on an airplane with that kind of person. But I about had it. So did you basically just tell him to chill out? I said a word that starts with the letter F, and then U, and then a word that starts with the letter A, and then a word that starts with H. That's pretty tame. This country misuses the ankle bracelet system. People that do stuff like that should be monitored 24-7. How did he respond to your derogatory remarks? He just looked at me and stared, and then kept going. Did you think he wanted to fight? I would. He was not a big guy, so where, where was where was he going? Like one more row up, basically. Yeah, and it's like we just got to Jackson, and, and it was night. It was like seven o'clock at night. It was a Sunday night, buddy. You're not in a hurry. You got nowhere to be right now. Just sit and wait, like everybody else. Like if he was running up the aisle saying, "Guys, my connecting flight's in ten minutes. I gotta go." Yeah, go ahead, man. Like go. But we just landed in Jackson, Mississippi. It's the last flight of the day in the airport. There are no connecting flights. (laughs) It's a Sunday night. You got nowhere to be. Hmm. Fair enough. Uh, You know, airplanes are are a place where sometimes basic decorum 
just gets completely thrown out the window. You know, you, you've you've got the take off the shoes and socks guy, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. But you know, whatever works for you, I guess. Straight to jail if you do that on an airplane. Just not even a jury. You just go straight to jail. That's if I was president. You, you've also got listen to music or watch a video with no headphones guy. Flight attendant should walk up and break their device in half in front of them. My least favorite is man both armrests make exorcism noises like while he's sleeping, guy. That really does a number. <laughs> when have yeah, we taken flown up together? Both... Say what, hey, Dad? When have we flown together, Rippy? I, I didn't recall that. Oh. Hey, Dad, do you take up both armrests? No, I don't. I like to sit on the aisle. I was just making okay. a joke. Are you a... Rippy, are you a window seat or an aisle guy? Um, I don't really care as long as the person next to me is respectful and it takes up their seat only. Yeah. Forky, do you have a preference, window or aisle? Uh, aisle, so I can spread my legs a little bit. There you go. When yeah. I was a kid, I wanted the window, of course, because anytime we'd fly to a city, I would want to see the stadiums from the air. But now I just want to make sure that I can, you know, not be so I, tight in the seat. I take a lot of early morning flights, like either the first or second flight out of the morning that's either at 5.30 or at 6. And so for that reason, I generally like the window, just so I can kind of lean, uh, lean against um, occasionally I will get upgraded, but usually not. But less about the window or the aisle and more about the bulkhead. Being on that first row behind first class, that is, you know, maybe you don't get quite as much leg room as you do in the, um, like the exit rows. And you do have to put your backpack above the seat, you know, the, you know, above the headrest and the, the luggage container uh, because you can't keep it at your feet. But man, being the right there, ready to get off, and you can't have the guy that you were talking about just a second ago, like coming past you because there's nowhere for him to go. That's the uh, that's the spot, right there. What are we getting to this afternoon? Jay Hobson, head football coach at Southern Miss, will join us in the five o'clock hour. As Southern Miss is now just ten days away from their season opener uh, against Alcorn State, week two, they will head to Starkville to take on Mississippi State. John Harris from the Houston Texans will join us for his uh, semi-regular chat. Always enjoy visiting with John. We talk about this every year, the blue chip ratio. It uh, It's the kind of the metric that marries recruiting rankings with potential to win a national championship. Are there potentially more teams this year that could win a title? Maybe. Uh, some writers have put together a list of overrated and underrated teams in the SEC. We've got the names and logos of the eight XFL teams. We head to the West Coast for 100 teams in 100 days. And Major League Baseball has asked their players to stop trying to enhance themselves. Huh? Tell you more as we move on this afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Let's talk a little football practice availability today at uh, Ole Miss. Some media availability with assistant coaches in Starkville. Let's talk a lot uh, about what Rippy learned. He told us earlier he uh, learned absolutely nothing other than uh, color of helmets that the team was wearing during practice. He's been racking his brain for the last uh, last 15 minutes or so and 
think he's going to be able to bring something else to the table now. I feel confident in that. Should I feel confident? I don't know. What did you see? Uh, saw really absolutely nothing. Like they, I mean, one through six, a lot of it's stretching. Um, afterwards, Jacob Peeler talked about how they didn't really have any depth at receiver last year. It was completely top-heavy, which is something that wasn't discussed very much. Like They went into that Vanderbilt game with essentially four receivers, and you know, DeMarcus Lodge played on an ankle injury he probably shouldn't be playing on. Um, instead, he wants to play seven to nine receivers a game if he can this year. Okay. Who would those seven to nine be? Uh, I don't think he knows that yet. Um, okay. He probably has an idea, but I mean, you're likely subjects in um, Sanders, Elijah Moore, Tyler Knight, I guess, if you want to count it that, because he's lined up at slot a decent bit. But he's really kind of looking at which younger guys he can play Jonathan Mingo, Dennison, Jaden Jackson, Jordan Jernigan. Um, I think they all bring something different to the table, but it's a matter of if he's comfortable putting them in a game to perform. In, in the practice that's, that you've watched, and I mean, I know we're not watching team stuff, but the individual stuff, do, do any of those receivers, the, the freshmen, stand out more than the others to you? I mean, if, I guess if you're talking about standing out, it's probably Mingo just because he was the one freshman. Not that the other guys were weaker, but like Mingo looked like an SEC receiver in high school. And so I guess that would be the one that stands out just from a physical standpoint. But it's so hard to tell when they go up against air. I mean, they can torch air. Sure. Um, air does not put up much resistance. But um, the Marcus Gregory, yeah, he's a big guy. Miles Battle is a big guy too. You saw a little bit of last year. He got the four games and still kept the red shirt. They got some intriguing pieces. I think it's just a matter of figuring out figuring out who can play and who he's comfortable in putting in a game. Um, from the from it, the limited stuff that I've seen at practice, it looks like the role that they want Elijah Moore to play is going to be one of frequent use. Yeah, I mean, he caught eight balls in the spring game. He caught, I think, 36 passes last year. He'll be a high-volume guy out of the slot. I imagine it'll help Matt Corral get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. I think he will, like, he'd probably be the safest bet in terms of leading the team in receptions. Do you think practice has changed at all uh, from, from what they were doing maybe two weeks ago to what they're doing now in, in terms of beginning to transition toward game week? Yeah, sure. They started a Memphis installment, I guess, on... Really, on Monday, they may have started a little bit before that. But, yeah, I mean, now it's more so – I mean, they're still trying to get some guys in shape, but, like, more so it's less about beating them up and conditioning to kind of get your legs back on you and get ready for game week because, I mean, you're, what, five days away from Monday press conference and the whole game week routine kind of rolling on. What about pacing? You know, there's been talk, and and I think uh, when Rich Rodriguez visited with you and and with Borky back on Ole Miss's Media Day – he talked about wanting to go fast and having the ability to go fast. I feel like if you rewind to the last two years, there was a lot of lip service about we want to go fast, fast, fast. But they really didn't go that fast, maybe in comparison to some teams that play at a breakneck pace. Um, I think it was more so that Longo, like, Going fast and cha- like going fast is really only effective if you change pace and you keep well one the going fast is obviously to gas the defense but changing pace kind of keeps them off balance too but the problem is Longo only knew fast and so when that was a three and out they'd go three and out in you know twenty five seconds and that would hurt your own defense more so than anything so I think it's more about changing pace and being able to do that obviously going fast is a big part of that because if you go fast it's, if you don't go fast it's hard to slow down um, that could be on a fortune cookie. Um, <laughs> 
But <laughs> that's a good point, though. Mix, mixing up the pace is more there, important than using the same pace always. No matter how fast or slow you are, it's the changing of it is what makes the difference. Right, and they only knew one speed last year, kind of like they only knew one route. So it was a lot of predictability and a lot of the same things. So I think it's more about changing pace. They're definitely trying to go fast. They, uh, I think Royce Newman, we were talking to him today, and he, the part of their conditioning drills is they do something called a TTO, where they run five plays down the field as fast as they possibly can. So it's basically just like a sprint, but you're doing other activities to take your mind off sprinting, like running a play. And when asked what a TTO is, he said, I have no idea. It's just what they call it. Doesn't stand for anything, I don't think. Okay. Um, heard part of the Rebel Report podcast that you and uh, and Colin Brister do. Uh, I guess it was yesterday, so maybe it was Monday's podcast. You, you mentioned predictability on offense. You guys talked about predictability on defense, and it was part of the reason maybe that Ole Miss's pass rush was ineffective a year ago. Well, I think a lot of it was they just missed an exterior pass rusher. Like there was no Marquise Haynes or anyone on the outside to really bring pressure and kind of get quarterbacks moving up in the pocket or really just kind of feeling happy feet because it's kind of hard for defensive tackle. I mean, you could obviously defensive tackles get sacks, but it's a lot different coming from the edge and the outside where you're in the quarterbacks either out of his vision or in the peripheral vision as opposed to being, you know, right in front of him. And they struggled with that last year, but they also weren't exactly uh, nuanced when it came to blitz packages. It was more like the. I think Colin used the reference, the Area 51. They're going to see them aliens. Everybody just run forward because they can't take all of us. It's not very nuanced, not very uh, disguised, just kind of, hey, go get the quarterback. And, and and when you do that, it tends to leave some other areas of the field open and tends to lead to some explosive plays by the other guys, right? Yes, a lot of the times that would lead to the play where the re- opposing, you know, back receiver whatever would catch the ball and there would be no one in the panned television screen within them it would lead to a lot of that that happened more than once last year where literally somebody caught the ball and there was not a player within 12 or 15 yards of them in any direction more than once a what driver quarter yes it was a frequent thing happened a lot hey dad you were in starkville today anything from uh, mississippi state's um well, I started to say practice. That would be the wrong word. But uh, from your conversations with the assistant coaches that stood out? Uh, the, the three guys we got to talk to, Terry Richardson, who coaches running backs, Chris Marv, coaches linebackers, Marcus Johnson, coaching the offensive line. You know, Two of those guys, Richardson and Marv, probably coached the most talented units on the uh, the team. So th- their confidence was, was not to be surprised. I wasn't surprised by it. Um, but Marcus Johnson... You know, I think the offensive line can be good for Mississippi State, but he really did seem sold on his guys, uh, especially from a depth perspective. You know, not just his starting five. He feels like he's got, you know, seven or eight guys that he that he can rotate in and out of there. He mentioned Tyree Phillips. We talked about him briefly uh, yesterday on the Pro Football Focus uh, rankings. How he was the I think he was the fifth highest rated returning tackle. Uh, he thinks he's set for for a very big year. Um, beyond that, I thought we had a funny moment with Terry Richardson as we relayed to him that yesterday uh, both Kylan Hill and Nick Gibson uh, referred to uh, freshman running back Lee Witherspoon as they, they compared him to Nick Chubb, which that, that drew some, uh, some eyebrow raises. Uh, okay. And then later uh, Gibson said he wanted to be a duo with Kylan Hill like Lindell White and Reggie Bush. And so when we refor- informed Terry Richardson of this, his response was, and I quote, What? Because those are some high dollar comparisons uh, to be, to be made for sure. So, uh, so, he, so, he, so we went. We, I, I say we. I'm we using we in a very collective sense here. Mm-hmm. Nick Chubb, 
Lindale White and Reggie Bush. They they went they went high dollar on these man. They went they 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 decided to put it out there, um, and yeah, you know I like I like the confidence. We'll see where it goes. But as Richardson said, you know uh, don't just talk about it, be about it. You know we, we don't want comparisons are great, but it's it's more about you know what you're doing out there on the field for real. Uh, but like I said, that that's a confident group and a confident group of assistant coaches. I feel like. You know, they feel that things are going the way they want them to in practice, and they feel the offensive guys especially feel like this offense is going to be better. Uh, I think we're, you know, we're going to find out who the quarterback is on Saturday, if I had to guess, when we speak to Joe Moorhead again after the final scrimmage. And, and from there, it'll just be a, a matter of, you know, seeing it on the field and seeing what the production looks like. I don't know why I'm just making this connection, but we're talking about Chris Marvin, an assistant coach that played linebacker at Vanderbilt. Is that right? Yeah, played for Bob Shoup. How about that? So when James Franklin was there, he was on one of those nine-win teams that went to a bowl game at Vandy. Yeah. There you go. I don't know. But but he did not spend any time at Penn State, did he? I mean, he stayed at Vanderbilt and was on Derek Mason's staff. If I'm yeah, he, he, was, he was there last year, yeah. Gotcha. I, yeah, I should have connected the dots on that sooner and, uh, and did not, but... Uh, What's he like to be around? He's an interesting guy. Uh, if you w- look at him, if you watch that video that's up at SuperTalk.fm, you know he's uh, he's up there. He's very he's very loud, but he's you know he's very to the point. He wears glasses, and it's almost like he's got like a Clark Kent Superman thing working. In that, when you see him out on the practice field, man, the energy from him is incredible. Moorhead mentioned it, uh, uh, I think, last week that he said that's a guy who breaks a sweat before the end of the first session. I mean, he's just. He's out there, you know, with his players, and he is he is very very high energy uh, with them. So, off the field, very you know very reserved and and, and very you know I mean, he's he's confident, but it's, there's no arrogance to it. But out there on the field, it's like it's almost like he's ready to put a helmet and pads on. Get a little professorial look when you see him in the glasses, and a little yeah. bit different look uh, when he's on the field. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. More coming up. Sit tight. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydat, Brian Scott Rippey. John Harris will join us a little bit later this afternoon on the Farm Bureau phone line. We will also talk with Jay Hobson, head football coach, at Southern Miss, as they get closer to opening day, 10 days away until kickoff at the Rock. I tell you what, you've kind of seen, I mean, we talked earlier in the week, I guess it was on Monday, about the announcement that starting with their, what, conference home opener, uh, they'd be selling beer at M.M. Roberts Stadium, beer and light wine, uh, I think is uh, what it was. There's been a lot of promotion and push leading up to the start of the season. I'll be interested to, to talk with Jay Hobson. Obviously, we'll focus on football stuff. Uh, but it feels like there has really been a concerted effort in the last month or so leading up to kickoff to do everything they can to get some decent crowds and to try and make for a better overall game day experience for Southern Miss fans. Have you guys seen that, noticed that, thought that yourselves? Yeah, they're awful proud of it, which I, I think they should be. But that's the landscape now. I mean, if you're if you're talking about attendance issues in Alabama, who can't 
lose, even if they try almost, still can't get people to show up to their games, then you would imagine that a Conference USA school has uh, issues with that as well. So you have to do everything you can. That's the landscape today. It's not people go to the game because they love football and they would never miss it. Rain, sunshine, no matter who the opponent is, I'm still going to the game. The, The era of those people filling up stadiums is completely gone. So you have to be creative and you have to do things like that in order to make it happen. If Alabama has to do it, then Southern Miss is going to have to do it too. Tomorrow and Friday, you can join Sports Talk Mississippi live from Colin Community College in Wesson for the King's Daughters Medical Center kickoff classic. Three great high school games taking place over the course of three nights on the brand new field at Stone Stadium during the KDMC kickoff classic. Sports Talk Mississippi tomorrow and Friday Live in Wesson at Colin, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. And Rippy, this strikes me as something that might be of interest to you. Maybe a way you could let, make a little money on the side? Do you want to be a lottery lottery retailer? I don't know what that means. Apply today to become a Mississippi lottery retailer. Applications received before October 1st have the best chance of being ready for the first day of sales. The application package is available at mslotteryhome.com or by calling 855-946-4667. And you could sell those out of the back of your car, couldn't you? What are you selling? Lottery tickets. Ah. You know Mississippi's getting a lottery? Maybe you've heard that? I do. I have a buddy that's going to work for the Mississippi Lottery. Oh, yeah. See, like the... uh the guy that writes the big checks and hands them out? Yeah, he has all the codes. I'll give you his number. Great. Great. Will he still be working there if you give that to me? I don't think he has the codes. He does marketing. Oh. Well, that's uh, that's not nearly as good. Overrated or underrated? CBS has polled their writers, and they put together a piece entering the 2019 season. The results are in. Most overrated teams... In the SEC, according to the writing staff at CBS Sports. Number one, Texas A&M. Borky, is this in particular order or just all that made the overrated list? Just all that made it. Okay. This isn't that complicated. A&M is starting the season ranked 12th, and it's a team that has potential to be a top-10 team this year. Problem is they've got to play Clemson and Georgia and LSU on the road. Georgia and LSU in consecutive weeks to finish the regular season. Alabama going to College Station, plus the rest of their SEC schedule. Says this might be one of the better teams in the country, but could also be a team that easily finishes 8-4. and four. And it's hard to imagine an 8-4 and four team being ranked near the top 10 at the end of the season. So Tom Fornelli at CBS Sports says, I'm calling the Aggies overrated in the most basic use of the term. Is 8-4 and four where Texas A&M finishes this year, or do they go 7-5? and five? It feels like it's one of those two, doesn't it? And I, the, the more the season comes closer, the more I'm kind of cooling on, on Texas A&M in year two. They're replacing a lot on defense. There's a lot of unproven on defense. And that schedule is brutal. So they could very well be the number 12 team in the country as far as if you line one team up against another on a given day, they could beat the everybody else behind them, but the schedule is not going to allow them to be ranked like that. They're going to lose some football games this year just by default. 
Just for the record, it had been Kerchival. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just for the record, though, the number nine team in the final poll had four losses last year. Who's that? Texas. Yeah, it's kind of how you finish, though, right? I mean, they played in the Big Twelve well, championship yeah, I mean, if, game. If they and... are, if they're eight and four, and then they win their their bowl game to finish nine and four, and the teams that they lost to finished, and this is reasonably possible, one, two, three, and five. I, I, you, I would say that's a top ten team. Maybe depending on how they lost. Yeah. Uh, what those four losses for Texas last year? One of them was to Oklahoma in the Big Twelve championship game. Who were the other three losses for Texas? Uh, did they lose to Maryland again? They did. They, they lost, lost to Maryland, Maryland to start the season. Yeah, in the season opener. They lost to. Hold on. They lost to Maryland, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. I'm missing one, and West Virginia. Mm. Oh, because that's, right. that's the horns down penalty game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and West Virginia, wasn't that a one-point loss or a two-point loss? They, yeah, they in the regular the season, the they lost three games by a combined, uh, it looks like, ten points. So that kind of explains to you why they were still a top-ten team. So then what Especially you're saying, when they drummed Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Right. So what you're saying makes sense, then, in terms of how they lose those games. Yeah. yeah, if they play Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU relatively close, yeah, they could be a top-10 team at the end of the year. I mean, if, if A&M loses by four touchdowns at Clemson, Georgia beats them by 18, LSU beats them by 14, and Alabama beats them by 31, yeah, it's probably yeah, not probably a top-10 so much. No. Uh, ben Kerchival and Barton Simmons say Florida. Overrated. Dan Mullen's debut in Gainesville was about as good as one could expect. Nobody's going to complain about wins over Tennessee, LSU, Florida State, and Michigan. Still, it's a program that's a ways behind Georgia, and the meat of this year's schedule will determine how good the 2019 Gators can be. Getting Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia in a month's time is brutal. Florida will be good given its veteran offensive pieces, but not sure it will be good enough to improve upon last year's debut season for Mullen, and its preseason number 8 ranking is a bit lofty considering how much farther ahead Georgia appears to be. Rippy, anything there you disagree with? Um, No, not necessarily. Like, that is a tough stretch. I don't know about overrated. I mean, they what? They went ten and three last year. With, well, they ranked number eight in the country to start the year. They were a ten win team last year with two of those losses at home and one at a neutral site. Do you think they finished lower than eighth? Ooh, I don't know. Eighth seems about right. If they got really hot towards the end of the year and finished top six, seven, something like that, wouldn't surprise me either, but it's also a pretty tough schedule. I guess I'd lean lower than eight, yeah. Okay. Georgia. This according to Chip Patterson at CBS Sports. The Bulldogs are my pick to win the SEC East, but unlike others that have Jake Fromm and company playoff band bound, I think this group, after changes at both offensive and defensive coordinator, could take a slight step back and drop a couple of games in the regular season. And I guess if we're doing this like letter of the law, by definition, overrated, Georgia's preseason number three, and coming off a Sugar Bowl appearance, 
if they lose two games in the regular season, would that make them overrated? I mean, it's hard for me to call a 10-win team overrated. Yeah, I guess technically you could. That schedule is very easy, though. Losing two games with that schedule, I think, would be considered, or you could justify saying, well, they underachieved. With the way it sets up, I mean, they have one difficult road game at Auburn, and they get a bye week before they go to Tennessee. It It's just something that they should navigate. 11 wins should be the floor for that team, considering the schedule. Barrett Salee says that LSU is overrated. He says LSU, yes, went to the Fiesta Bowl last year. Despite that, the coaching staff has felt the need to sell the idea of a more dynamic offense all offseason. Pardon my cynicism, but I'll believe it when I see it. No doubt that Joe Burrow takes another step and becomes the difference maker that he will need to be in order for LSU to become an actual national title contender. Actually, he said, I have doubts about Joe Burrow doing that. Hey, Dad, cosigns. Until then, the Tigers are a nice team. It'll get nine or ten wins and be on the outside looking in of the playoff. Isn't that where they're exactly where they're projected to be? Yeah, I mean, they're a t- if they're a ten-win team, they're going to finish. In, they're, they're ranked sixth, I think, preseason. Yeah, that 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 would be about right because they'll probably win their ball game and be eleven and two. We'll uh, we'll look at underrated teams when we come back. Give you one more overrated team, according to Jerry Palm. That's in the Renaissance Bank studio after this. Text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Don't miss on the latest deal from Seaspire by a top smartphone on Seaspire's nationwide LTE network and get one for free. That's right, buy one of the top smartphones, get a second one free from Seaspire, only available for a limited time. Seaspire, customer inspired. The Seaspire text line is 601-879-4395. Looking at According to CBS Sports, overrated and underrated teams in the SEC. Quinn goes, overrated? LSU? Fair enough. Um, LSU is overrated. They will poop emoji the bed at least four times. Uh, Michael from Poplarville sent us horn da- uh, horns down um, in GIF form as uh, as well. The last overrated team that's listed from CBS from Jerry Palm is Missouri. The addition of quarterback Kelly Bryant, the transfer from Clemson, gives the Tigers a chance to score a lot of points this year. They may even be undefeated heading into the game at Georgia on November 9th, but that may be a function of their schedule as much as anything. Mizzou could get to 8-0 and by playing only one team that finishes with a record above 500. That's Troy. I think the Tigers are the third-best team in the division, but not a strong challenger to the top. It will be interesting to see how their season turns if the appeal on their bowl ban is denied. What are we talking about here, though? Can it, I mean, can overrated be, in terms of what? Yeah, Can a team be overrated if they're not righted? They're not ranked. They're not in the top twenty. Overrated compared to what? I mean, that, that, that's kind of my point. I mean, overrated because people are talking favorably about Missouri. I feel like Jerry Palm just pointed out exactly why people are talking positively about Missouri. It's not because people just believe that man, that's a top ten team in college football. 
It's because yeah. their schedule is unbelievably manageable. Well, if anything, they fit in the underrated category because if you get to eight and one by the end of the month of October, no matter if you who you've played, that would be underrated compared to where they're at, would it not? Uh, it would be underrated in comparison to where they have been. I think it'd be underrated to where people think they're going to finish now. That would be right in the hunt of the SEC East in the month of November. Would anyone traditionally, without looking at the schedule, have Missouri in the hunt for the East in the month of November? Probably not. No. Now, in fairness, their November consists of games at Georgia, Florida at home, Tennessee at home, and at Arkansas. But, but let, you go into that Georgia game with Kelly Bryant, you got a chance. So, so if they're eight and one after Georgia with Florida, Tennessee, and Arkansas remaining, certainly not inconceivable to think they finish ten and two. And much different team, much different dynamic. But they killed Florida on the road last year, stomped them. Give me a percentage chance of on October twelfth, Ole Miss going to Columbia and upsetting Missouri. Five, four. You think it's that low? Yeah. You just got to see them first. I mean, there are, there are so many things about that Ole Miss team that we don't know. I mean, Rippy just gave them a four percent chance to win. Yeah, <laughs> typical Rippy overrating Ole Miss. Percentage. Yeah, but but that I mean, if, like, if they could beat Memphis forty eight to twelve, and that would change. We got to see them first. There are there's so much unknown about that Ole Miss team that they very well could be better than people expect because there's talent, just unknown talent, all that stuff. But we have no idea how to project Ole Miss. Uh, we have. Let, let, let me ask this question, Borky. If Ole Miss is five and one going to Missouri, and that means everything has gone right, everything has gone right. I put it at thirty percent. Then okay, they're, you, you if still, they're five and one with one loss being to Alabama, and I would go a little bit higher than thirty. But yeah, I, I mean, still less than fifty. Missouri should still be a good team, be undefeated at that point. Uh, a lot of experience on offense, experienced wide receivers, running back, tight end, a quarterback that took somebody else to the college football playoff. Uh, just, I don't know if there's any point, no matter what Ole Miss does, that you could just put a W next to Missouri. Hey, Dad, 30 I... to 35 to beat a good team on the road, though, is a pretty good chance. That's more than a puncher's chance. Hey, Dad, I'm curious for a different perspective. What would What would your level of surprise be if Ole Miss was 5-1 and one after six games? I wouldn't be any more surprised if I woke up with my head sewn to the carpet. Okay. Is that very that, surprised? That's very I would be beyond surprised. That that would be almost miraculous to me. But but when you look at the schedule, I mean you, you see how I even asked that question, right? I see how you I asked mean, the question. I mean Ole Miss is a six point underdog to Memphis. I, I don't I don't think they're getting through those first six games five and one. If you beat Memphis, though, then you, in theory that would be playing to a level that would be better than both Arkansas and Cal, though. True, true. I mean, and, and sort of. And then Vanderbilt to home. I got to, I got to see them. But right now, I, I don't see that happening. I'd be surprised, not stunned. Yeah. Well, and the schedule ter- certainly turns more difficult uh, after that. We'll see. Um, we'll see. We'll get to the underrated teams uh, a little bit later this afternoon. I kind of went off in a different direction there. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. The Renaissance Bank Studio streaming online at supertalk.fm. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports 
Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over one hundred years. So whether you're a farmer with equipment needs or you're looking to um, refinance an existing loan or maybe buy a new piece of property, get a production loan, or you are um, just somebody that's looking to build a house in the country, buy a piece of recreational property, Mississippi Land Bank can help. You can check them out online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We're going to talk with John Harris uh, about an hour from right now. Uh, we are also, are we doing that right now, Borky? No, an hour from now. Gotcha. So for the college football fix at 5 o'clock, we will talk with John Harris. And then after that, on the Farm Bureau phone line, we will be joined by Jay Hobson, head football coach at Southern Miss. In the meantime, you can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601 879 Four three nine five at Seaspire Repair Centers. They love making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, fixing any phone from any carrier with certified parts and technicians. Visit seaspire.com/repair to find a repair center near you. Seaspire, customer inspired. So let's finish up this underrated list uh, from CBS Sports. Uh, some of these are fascinating. And you've also got a little overlap, so not everybody is in agreement on the overrated versus underrated. Auburn as an underrated team, according to Tom Fornelli and Jerry Palm. Hey, Dad will love this. Gus Malzahn's team will win 10 games in 2019, and that includes beating Georgia or Alabama in Jordan-Hare in November. It's probably not going to be both, but I think they can get one of the two playoff contenders there in the home stretch of the season that is from Chip Patterson, also Tom Fornelli and Jerry Palm co-sign. I'm willing to, to wager with any of them. I'll just say that. Significant, like a mortgage payment? Oh, I'd put, I'd put a lot on that, yeah. Multiple mortgage me, payments? You're telling me I can take the under on 10 wins for Auburn? For sure. Anybody else? I don't know if I would do 10, but I did watch a little Bo Nix video today. Yeah. I mean, not just high school, like the Under Armour All-American game. His athleticism, hes if he can translate right away to the speed of the SEC, I'm so excited to watch this dude play. I mean, just a perfect fit for his system, a super athlete, he can throw the football, but his ability to run, man, if he can figure it out upstairs and play quarterback, and it sounds like he can. If he was named the starter, there's a reason for that. His press conference yesterday was also impressive for being a true freshman. I mean, they just started classes today. Me at 18, because I was still 18 then, being able to answer questions and act like he did, there's no way I was in that atmosphere. So some maturity for being a young guy. That athleticism, though, man, he's exciting. I cannot wait to watch him play. Where are their losses coming, hey, Dad? They'll lose to LSU. They'll lose to Alabama. They'll lose to Georgia. I think they're going to lose to Oregon, to be honest with you. And then I won't be completely surprised. They'll probably lose to Texas A&M. 
I mean, that that's five right there I'd be willing to bet on. That's five. Um, don't you think that quarterbacks are more ready to play in college coming out of high school than they've ever been? I saw something, I think it was Edward Ashoff that, that had some numbers on that. There, there are more freshmen starting than ever in college football at the, at, across the board. But especially at quarterback, they're more, they're more focused in their development and stuff like it's It's kind of like basketball players now with the way quarterbacks are handled. Uh, not even just on the field, with media stuff. I mean, this kid's been talking to media for years. So uh, sitting in a, a room with a bunch of cameras and reporters is not a foreign concept to them. And uh, it's always football. And they're grooming these guys to start right away. It's different now. Uh, they don't show up needing grooming. They show up ready. It's a more focused thing, kind of like basketball players with AAU circuits. They have these seven-on-seven things and special quarterback coaches. They are different and more college-ready now than they have been ever before. Also underrated on this list, Texas A&M. This is from Barrett Salee. The bravado coming out of College Station on quarterback Kellen Mond is tremendous talking season fodder, and Mond will prove that it's more than talk from the moment they tee it up to start the year. Full season is the unquestioned starter combined with one of the best wide receiving cores in the country will take pressure off of a running back situation that is a little shaken after the departure of Travion Williams. The Aggies finished second in the West last year. They've got one of the best defensive linemen in the country in Justin Matabuke and a star calling the defensive plays in Mike Elko. The Aggies have also added stability that they have desperately needed The record might not show it because it's the toughest schedule in the country. Mm, South Carolina would like a word. But Texas A&M is fully capable of springing an upset on any of the big boys. That's from Barrett Salee and Ben Kirchhoff. I mean, if the record doesn't show it and they're 8-4, and they're probably going to be properly rated. Fair enough. Mississippi State on the underrated list. After Joe Moorhead's offense came up woefully short in his first season and and, uh, three first-rounders departed from what was arguably the best defense in college football, I get the skepticism on Mississippi State, but with an improved receiving core, one of the best running backs that nobody's talking about in Kylan Hill, and a quarterback in Tommy Stevens that has a firm grasp of the system from his time at Penn State, I would expect the offense to improve dramatically. The defense will dip. But I think this team is more prepared to reload than many believe. Cam Dantzler is an NFL corner. There's plenty of edge pass rush talent. And Errol Thompson and Willie Gay make up an elite linebacking core. This team is probably capable of beating anyone not named Alabama on its schedule. That's from Barton Simmons. Thoughts? Um, I mean, if you State is sort of the opposite of... Uh... Of, of of Texas A and M and that their schedule is is pretty manageable, you know. But that said, and it goes we're talking about Ole Miss a few minutes ago. We got to see it. I mean, until I see Tommy Stevens running a you know potent offense out there for Mississippi State, it's difficult to predict them to beat teams like LSU for sure. A and M on the road will be tough. Auburn on the road will be tough. So we'll see. Yeah, Tennessee on the road will be tough. Not as tough as those other ones, though. I'm not sold on Tennessee like you are. Um, Dennis Dodd, Missouri. I'm trying to find a reason why Missouri can't be 8-0 and headed to Georgia on November 9th. Tigers don't go on the road in the SEC until October 19th, except for the Georgia game. All the tough SEC East games are at home. 
They've got a championship quarterback and grad transfer, Kelly Bryant. Larry Roundtree the third is a 1,200-yard rusher. Tied in Albert Okwa... Uh, Oak- you nailed it yesterday. Okwugbanam there it is. is a preseason All-American. Could be a 10-win team. Yeah, typical Missouri optimism from the school and its fans that specialize in such hype, but this time it looks real. Barry Odom is maturing as a coach. You know, interesting to me, Dennis Dodd, in a lot of ways, wrote the same thing that Jerry Palm wrote, and yet Jerry Palm called them overrated, and Dennis Dodd calls them underrated for the same reasons. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? Dennis Dodd's approach makes more sense. It makes a little more sense to me because it's Missouri. And if you want to parrot the, well, Missouri played in back-to-back SEC East Championship games, yeah, or, or SEC Championship games is the East representative, yeah, yeah, but Georgia wasn't Georgia, Florida wasn't Florida. Kentucky wasn't even as good as they are now. And Missouri took advantage. Now, congratulations to them. They got there. They got it done. They won a bunch of games. But the East was an altogether different animal, and then they got boat raced when they got to the championship game. So outside of that, 8-0 and to start the year is way better than you would expect from Missouri. I do think they've got a chance to, to be pretty good, and then a team that gets off to that kind of start, you would think that you build some confidence along the way. If we're going to go back to the old Miss conversation from a moment ago about the possibility of getting to, to five and one out of the gate, I think part of the reason that, that they could potentially kind of get rolling a little bit if they beat Memphis and Arkansas is with as many young players as Ole Miss is going to have, they start to get a little confidence and start to kind of figure it out a little bit and believe in themselves. Look, I, I, I'm like you guys. I, I think I'll side with Rippy. Would I be shocked if Ole Miss was 5-1? and one? No, I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be surprised. But I wouldn't be in the hey-dad camp of I couldn't be more surprised if I woke up and my head was sewn to the carpet either. And you have a couple of guys. I mean, there were two close games, games that they probably should have won in Vanderbilt and South Carolina last year that they just didn't. They, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, and they have a couple of coaches at least calling plays that won't do that either if they get themselves in that kind of position. They're better suited to win closer games at least just in that category. Yeah, overtime loss to Vanderbilt on the road and a four-point loss to South Carolina when they hit a big lead in the second half. Counting you down to the start of the college football season. We're doing it team by team. We started back in May. We are now to team number 10 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Team number 10, the Oregon Ducks. You don't like their fight song, right? That's quite the pronunciation. You like Oregon? Oregon went 9-4 last year. 
five and four in the Pac-12. Alton Stadium is where they call home. Can I go ahead and tell you, um, Mr. Haydad, who their most famous alum is? I know who their most famous alum is. Everybody else is playing for second. Yeah. After Papa Phil Knight. Leading rusher is back. 1,000-yard rusher in C.J. Verdell. Number two rusher is back. Travis Dye had 739 yards. Justin Herbert is back after throwing for 31, 51, 29 touchdowns and eight picks. They lose Dylan Mitchell, who was a big play receiver, 10 catches, six or two, excuse me, 10 touchdowns, 16 yards a catch, and nearly 1,200 yards. Their next five wide receivers return. Ten starters back on offense, seven back on the defensive side of the ball. Second meeting ever against Auburn. Only other in the 2010 BCS National Title Game, so I'm sure Oregon has revenge on its mind. 22 to 19 was the final. First neutral site opening game for Oregon since 2011 when they lost to LSU. Lost that one by 13. What do you guys think of first when you think of Oregon? Marcus Mariota. Okay. And that that offense, that incredible offense they used to run with Chip Kelly. Getting up and down the I thought, field. I was just convinced somebody was going to say uniforms. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And we, we get a text that says Oregon has the ugliest uniforms. It, they started the alternate uniform, bold, loud trend in college football. Because they didn't have any traditional thing to lean on, so they made headlines in other ways. And it works for them. Yeah. Uh, question about how we rank the teams for the 100 teams in 100 days. We use the football power index from ESPN that is available back in May, and they've updated it since then. So if you looked at the FBI today, it wouldn't look exactly the same as it did back in May. But it's just kind of the – I mean, it's not entirely arbitrary. I mean, generally the better teams are toward the end as we get closer to the start of the season. Amanda, exactly what you said, Borky. She says Oregon has the ugliest uniforms in all of football. I I agree sometimes. They roll some stuff out that's pretty bad. They get some pretty cool-looking uniforms, too, though. Or do you guys hate them? Yeah, they did one where they tried to make it look as close to their mascot as possible, so they had a, a white helmet with an orange face mask, so white head, orange beak. That light green, beautiful green color top uh, with white pants and orange shoes, so they made their uniforms look like they were a duck. That was awesome. You you, you want an interesting Google search, do Oregon uniform combinations. There are a bunch of them. They do a green on green, a black on black, a white on white, a yellow on yellow, a slightly different green on green. They got four, five, six different helmets that they can uh, can roll out as well. They'll do the occasional throwback uniform. I mean, the the uniform budget is unlimited in Oregon, which is nice. That's something a lot of teams would like to have. Um, I, I I don't hate it, and and Borky's the the changing of the uniforms is kind of what has become Oregon's identity. In that. If you flip to an Alabama game, you immediately recognize Alabama or Georgia or Auburn 
or Clemson or Oklahoma or Texas, you pretty immediately recognize Oregon, too, because it's like something bright and loud and different. Like when they wear white-on-white uniforms with a silver helmet, and you're like, yeah, who's that? It's not very, it's not very loud. What about this year's Oregon team? Do you love Justin Herbert? Can year two for Mario Cristobal be a big, big year for this season? Oregon is the hill I'm dying on. And I'll get proven in 10 days from now wrong. And I cannot wait for my Twitter mentions after that. But I like this team because of experience, because of quarterback play, and... The schedule is tough. Like They have Auburn in a neutral site, which presumably being in Texas, that Auburn would have a bit of a fan edge. Either way, they're away from home. They have to go to Stanford. They have to go to Seattle. They have to go to Los Angeles and play Southern Cal and Tempe for good measure. So that road schedule is tough, and they were not at all good on the road last year, much better at home. But quarterback play experience, I for some reason I really, really like this team. And I'm interested in the Pac-12 altogether, but Oregon's the the off-season hill I'm dying on. I think that could be a 10-win team, win the Pac-12, make a maybe outside push at the playoff. Nine conference games in the Pac-12. But my guess is that Oregon would trade the four road games they've got being at home for the five home games they have being on the road. Borky just gave them to you a second ago. At Stanford, at Washington, at Southern Cal, at Arizona State. They host California, Colorado, Washington State, Arizona, and Oregon State. I'm saying Mario Cristobal makes that trade, no questions asked. Yeah, because not even just the teams, but the atmospheres are much better, too. Like You would much rather go to Washington State than you would Washington. Bigger stadium, better crowd, all that stuff. I mean, just... On that alone, you'd rather trade, and then the teams are just better. Do you guys think Oregon wins the Pac-12? They'll be. In yeah, I mean, obviously, Borky, you're there. If you if you think that they are a playoff team, they'll be in contention to do it. I don't know if they've got what it takes to get past Washington, though. If they win the Pac-12 North, they win the title game, or they lose it to Utah or somebody else from the South? They, they, if they win the North, they would win the Pac-12, I think. So you don't think Borky is all that crazy in his prediction? No. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, they have an elite quarterback, and I always say that's that's sort of like half the battle. So, I mean, they've got playmakers. I think Cristobal's a good coach. Uh, he's recruited well. They have a player I'm very interested to see, Kayvon Thibodeau, who was the number one recruit in the country last year, a defensive end who uh, turned down Alabama, Clemson, everybody else to go to Oregon. So, yeah, I think they're an exciting team. Can you name the three quarterbacks in the Pac-12 who threw for more yards last year than Justin Herbert? Justin Herbert's a guy that was talked about. If he had turned pro last year, could have been a first-round draft pick. There were three quarterbacks in the league that threw for more yards last year than Justin Herbert at Oregon. I would guess that Gardner Minshew is one. That is correct. He threw for 4,779 yards, completing 71% of his passes with 38 touchdowns. Is Jake Browning one? Uh, Jake Browning, yes, threw for 3,192 yards. And now that's where it gets difficult. Yeah, the third one's the one that surprises you. 
Were you I paying attention as we've gone through the Pac-12 teams? Was it the kid at Arizona State? No. It wouldn't have been Arizona Cleveland State's State. quarterback uh, last year, Manny Wilkins, threw for 3,025, slightly less. Uh, about 125, 26 yards less than Herbert. Is Huntley the quarterback at Utah? Is that the guy? Tyler Huntley threw for 1,788 uh, yards, not mind. even in the same league. Ooh. Okay. Well, then who is it? Because we're never going to get it. It's Stanford. Oh. KJ Costello at Stanford. Remember, oh. he threw for 3,500 uh, yards last year. We talked about the number of. Remember, we were comparing the number of pass attempts for KJ Costello. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In, in comparison to how many times Ole Miss threw it, and we were surprised at what the numbers looked like. Yeah. So, anyway, that's Oregon. Any other famous alums from Oregon? I'm going to go with uh, Ken Kesey, who was one of the counterculture uh, big guys back in the 60s who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Caitlin Olson, who stars on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Have you got anybody I've ever heard of besides Phil Knight? You know, I can't help it that you aren't up-to-date on popular culture. I, I really can't. I, I've done my best to bring you up to speed, but... You just took me one from the culture club in the 60s, and then you want to hit me with Not pop the culture, culture club. Not the culture club. Counterculture. He was a hippie. He okay. was like one of the big mo- people in the counterculture movement back then. He wrote one of the most famous books that turned into one of the most famous movies ever written, made. Yes, I'm aware. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Like, of this list, by the way, of like the first ten guys, like t- six of them work at Nike. Okay, if you weren't looking at this list of alums and I had said, hey, tell me who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, could you have named him? Yes. I don't know if I believe you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. The blue chip ratio. This now comes from uh, Banner Society, previously SB Nation. Teams who win the title have signed more four- and five-star recruits than two- and three-stars over their previous signing classes. Newsflash. This has been 100% true for essentially as far back as modern recruiting rankings have existed, depending on how you define modern, taking you back to basically the mid-2000s, which is not that long ago, but basically a 15-year window. According to uh, Banner Society, generally teams whose signees have been fewer than 50% blue chips over the previous four years cannot be considered national title contenders. All signees counts count. Transfers and walk-ons do not. Non-JUCO transfers are not governed by recruit rules, and they're not rena- uh, rated anew. Entering 2019, and this number, Borky, I think is up. 16 teams meet the blue chip ratio qualification to potentially win a national championship. It definitely is up. It's one of the highest numbers we've seen. I think the the average over the last few years was 12. So it's more than, than we're used to for sure. So teams who have a percentage of their roster greater than 50 
made up of four and five star players. That's your blue chip definition. Uh, you have five teams that are in the 50 percentile range. Miami at 51%, which should say something to you right about Miami if you just are assuming Florida's going to boat race them in the opener. That's a pretty talented football team. Florida's got 53%, so slightly better than Miami, but fairly evenly matched. Notre Dame and Washington both at 54% of their roster make up of four or five stars, and Auburn at 58%. Teams in the 60s. Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan, Penn State, Southern Cal, and Clemson, all with exactly 60% of their roster being made up of four- or five-star players. Are you surprised that Clemson is only at 60%? No. 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 If you if you've looked at recruiting rankings, that's about where they are. That said, when they do this next year, they'll be up around seventy percent based on the class they're, they're they look like they're going to bring in. And last year's was smaller as well. I mean, Dabo, they have talent everywhere. They have the the country's best quarterback, one of the best running backs. They have five star wide receivers. I'm not going to tell you that they don't recruit just as good as everybody else, but their strategy is a little bit different. They're he is perfectly fine signing small recruiting classes and signing a class that has a bunch of guys that aren't your highly rated blue chip prospects. They are very proud of their evaluation, so much so that they'll sign classes that are 16, 17 guys because they believe they hit on all of their evaluations. It's it's a little bit different. They're not processing guys near as much as Alabama is, for example. 61% of Florida's uh, Florida State's roster is made up of four- and five-star players out of high school. I can tell you where that other 39% is. On the offensive line? On the offensive line. <laughs> Given the, uh, the pro football <laughs> focus position grade rankings. I'll send LSU. you some highlight videos if you want to see them, man. It is. It's. Ooh, you cannot believe that they're wearing Florida State uniforms. You could play the Benny Hill music over some of those highlight videos. of LSU's roster, either four-star or five-star. And then you get a pretty significant jump. There are three teams that are doing it different than everybody else. Here's what's fascinating to me. Georgia has gotten into this group in a relatively short period of time. Kirby Smart is rolling into year four as the head coach at Georgia. He brought a bunch of guys in in that first signing class, but it was only kind of a uh, a precursor of what was to come. Because they put a good class together that first year, but didn't have great results on the field. And then it's been boom, 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 boom since then. 79% of Georgia's roster, four-star or five-star. 80% of Alabama's roster... Four star or five star. Eighty one percent of Ohio State's roster four or five star. So so think about that for a second. You're talking about eighty five players, sixty eight 
of the 85 players on Alabama's roster were either four-star or five-star players coming out of high school. This pretty good. This simplifies the explanation for why some teams are so much better than everybody else, better than any other way you can look at it, I think. Yeah. This is why people, people... people want to say, why? why? Why is Alabama so good? Because their players are better, a yeah. lot better than everybody else's. Hey, Dad, I'm sorry. I kind of derailed where you were going. That's all right. That's no problem. I think... You know, just in terms of five stars, I, I don't know what Alabama has for just for five stars. My guess is it's probably at least 30% of their roster, maybe 40%, just five stars. You know how many Mississippi State has? One. Two? One. His Kyle name is Hill? Charles Cross, and he is a true okay. freshman who is likely to redshirt this year. Prior to last year, they had one, Jeffrey Simmons. Prior to Jeffrey Simmons, they had one oh, or two, man. right? Chris Jones? Chris Jones was a five-star, yeah. yeah. So state average is about one five-star a year for the past, and that's, you know, since 2013, basically. If you want to go since 2013 and you want to look at Ole Miss, is what is it, probably an average of about two, two and a half a year? 13, what, Kim yeah, Diche, Tunsil, and Treadwell were, were five-star guys. Right. Then I don't think they signed another one until the 16 class when, what, Little, Patterson, and A.J. were five. I don't know that A.J. was a five-star guy. He may have been a really high four-star. So I have to go back and look. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember either. If only we had a device, guys. Jerry and Ely was a a five-star running back. Yeah. Is that the only one on the roster right now, Rippy? Can you think of anybody else? What was Benito Jones for? Benito Jones is a five star. That's a good good yeah. call. Here, the yeah. sixteen class here. Well, just in, in, in comparison, if you're saying thirty-five to forty percent of Alabama's roster, yeah, Ole Miss is now back up to eighty-five scholarships, and uh, let's see here, what is it two divided by eighty-five? That's uh, 2.3% of the roster. Yeah. Little, Patterson, and Benito Jones were uh, were five-stars, so only Benito Jones remains. A.J. Brown was a very high four-star. Yeah. And then Ohio State at 81%. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're going undefeated. It doesn't mean you win every single game you play. But it means you're going to be favored in basically every single game you play. And it's the only reason, really, that LSU that people point to LSU as a team with the talent capable of beating Alabama. Sixty-four percent of LSU's roster made up of blue chip players coming out of high school, and it's kind of a rolling average, right? I mean, this is this is not just from last year; it's looking at the entire roster, and so it's almost like a four-year rolling average. My guess is that next year Texas A&M will be in this group. Don't you think, Borky? Yeah, they're recruiting too well not to be. Georgia will continue to creep up, but Alabama and Ohio State will likely stay there. Clemson will move a little bit higher. Um, 
Are there any other teams that you think could so, – so we talked about there being 16 teams in the blue chip ratio this year. Do you think there are any other teams that are on the cusp of getting into this group outside of A&M? Oregon possibly playing their way back into it? You would yeah, think Chris at Walton. some point Southern Cal will make a hire and do Southern Cal well, Southern things Cal- again? Yeah, but I mean Southern Cal's at 60% right now. Oh, yeah. Same number as Clemson, Penn State, Michigan, Texas, and Oklahoma. Which makes the Southern Cal situation that much more baffling, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Sportsbook pick of the day, not so good. Rippy's favorite pitcher in the big leagues, Homer Bailey, was uh, pretty functional last night. And the A's beat the Yankees 6-2, to two, and I lost the pick of the day. Started out good. First inning was nice. Yeah. First half of the first the, inning. The top of the first inning when the Yankees took a one to nothing lead, and then it kind of went downhill from there. Thought you had it. Yeah. Um... So we got to kind of get get this thing turned around, Borky. Uh, after a ah, football's really... coming, I'm not worried about you. Well, I understand. I'm just saying. I mean, I've lost three of the last four, or maybe it's three of the last five. I don't know. Here's one. You can get the Rangers at minus one twenty with Mike Miner pitching at home. You like that? I don't know. It's your pick. You're just telling me that's a gift. No, I'm just reading. Um. Do we need to crowdsource this, Borky? Yeah, go for it, because the last time it worked really well. Yeah, the last time it ended up on an MLS game. (laughs) Well, did you win or did you lose? You like the Dodgers laying the 370 tonight against the Blue Jays? (laughs) I don't like the Dodgers at all. Yes, I... I, I, Is that a new thing for you? I feel like it's the first time I've ever heard you say that. (laughs) What about Braves Marlins? How about the Astros laying five fifty against the Detroit Tigers tonight? That's who's on the mound for Detroit? It doesn't matter. Take that one. That's a good one. That is one of the biggest. It may be the biggest MLB uh, like favorite ever. So you would have to bet five hundred fifty dollars to win a hundred. Let's see. It is. They would be the heaviest favorite in a game in the past 15 seasons. Hmm. And likely longer. That's as far as the data goes back. Do you think there's enough value there just to uh, take plus 550, take Detroit? Well, I think they'd be plus what? Four, plus 450? Plus 400? Okay. So probably not. Well, I mean, is that really what shifts you there? Plus 450 instead of plus 550? <laughs> I think it's pretty good either way. No, I understand that, but they're not going to win the game. You don't know that. That's why they play all nine innings. We're getting Are asked about Little League. Baseball? Yeah. Oh, Borky, we get a Little League game? We're getting asked about Little League World Series. Odds. We're not betting on the Little League. Hold Come on. on. Virginia and Hawaii? Tonight at 6.30 on ESPN? And give me the Mainlanders. 
minus whatever. Ooh, are you sure? I don't know. Hawaii's usually pretty good. You think there's anywhere you can find odds on the Little League World Series? Oh, well, not you that know, you know they're somewhere. I'm about to punch Come it into on. the Google machine. Got three MLS games tonight. I don't even really know what their uh, abbreviations stand for, though. You got New York FC against somebody, DCU against New York Red Bull, and then LAFC <laughs> against somebody also. Is that San Diego or San Antonio? There's a soccer team called Red Bull? The New yep. York Red Bulls, yep. Oh, it's San Jose. I was 0 for 2. It was neither San Diego nor San Antonio. It was San Jose. Does Red Bull own that team? They yeah. are involved. They're a big, yeah. big sponsor of it. There's a couple of Red Bull teams in, in European play, too. So, if Red you want to bet softball. on the Little League World Series, you can get Hawaii plus 1.5. Or oh, Virginia minus 1.5. The over-under total is 6.5. You're welcome. Don't, don't, don't do uh, we're, we're going to take the over in the Hawaii-Virginia game tonight <laughs> in the Little League World Series. That yes, sir. is your sports book at Golden Moon Casino. Pick of the day over the six and a half in the Hawaii-Virginia Little League World Series game tonight. And if it doesn't hit, be sure to tweet these kids. <laughs> I was going out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that you can't walk to the um, to the window, to the desk at the uh, sports book at Timeout Lounge, and and make this wager. I could be wrong. We'll be there a week from tomorrow. I will uh, I will ask the question. I've got the app. Let me see if it's on their app. Okay. I'm going to place a bet there next Thursday. Are you? Will not be on any little league games though. What are you? What are you gonna? What do you like? I gotta look at the board. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know right this second. Yeah, are you gonna play the Holy War? What's the line on that? When are we going there? Next Thursday. Let's see. Next Thursday night, you have BYU and Utah. Utah, a four and a half point favorite in Provo. Ooh, I'll probably stay away from that. Rivalry games, man, anything can happen. I cannot find any odds for the Little League World Series, but you can bet on minor league baseball if your heart desires. The Salt Lake Bees are minus one or plus 140 at the Tacoma Rainiers. Forky, we have already locked it in. Over the six and a half for the Little League World Series game tonight for how uh, between Hawaii and Virginia, and I do not want to know where you got that line. At least the minor leaguers can dip legally. College football fix is coming up next after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. We'll chat with John Harris. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. We uh, go right now to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team to check in with John Harris from the Houston Texans and HoustonTexans.com. John, I know we spend a lot of time talking about the NFL, but we're so close to the start of the college football season. 
Uh, let's talk some college ball today. And I'm curious your thoughts on this this Saturday night matchup between Florida and Miami. Well, first of all, having a game on August 24th is awesome. I mean, yeah, it is. Well, it's it's awesome until you realize. Well, I've got my game at six o'clock uh, up in Dallas, so I've got to I got to mind my p's and q's. But my DVR will get some work. But I, I love the fact that they're playing this game now. You know, you you play this one in Orlando and you start at six o'clock. They're going to be some they're going to be some dudes uh, that are that are pretty tired by the end of this one. But I I Florida's a really interesting team to me this year for a number of different reasons. Obviously, there's some NFL talent. I think C.J. Henderson uh, is one of the better corners uh, in college football. I, I I would take C.J. Henderson and throw him on our team right now in the Texans, and he would probably find a tie. He'd probably find a way to start by the end of the year. But Felipe Franks is a guy that and, – and there are probably quarterbacks in, in over their careers that have probably had a moment where you know, they started early on in their career and then there comes a point where the fans, everybody wants that guy gone, just wants him gone. And then all of a sudden something happens and you got to go back to that guy and then you realize, hey, wait a second – uh, maybe this guy is a lot better than we thought he was. Or maybe it just gets to the point where all the vitriol you know, got to that player and was like, well, hey, I'll show you. And I think Felipe Franks kind of got to that point midway through last year. And yeah. I think he got beyond it. And then the bowl game against Michigan, I thought he was really, really good against a good Michigan defense. So to meet Felipe Franks in a damn Mullen offense, it could get pretty exciting for what Florida's going to do, but Florida's got to have some, some playmakers step up and make some plays alongside of him. That, that ends up, to me, being the key. If Franks has a few guys around him that can step up and make some plays for him, you know, a guy like Tyree Cleveland, LaMichael Pirine, can those guys become big-time playmakers next to him and, and help him? Then I think Felipe Franks can be a really big, I say surprise, I think people in the SEC started seeing it and the second half of last year. But I think nationally, you'll look at him and go, hey, wait a second, Franks is pretty good. I think Miami will have some issues with Felipe Franks. But Miami's got a couple of linebackers that I think are two of the best in the country and Pinkney and, Sha- and uh, Shaq Quarterman. Those guys are going to be on Franks all night. I love this matchup, that individual matchup of those linebackers going against Felipe Franks. And I think the, the winner of that matchup ends up – going a long way and telling us who's going to win this game between Florida and Miami. I do think it's going to end up being the Gators. I think the Gators just overall are more talented than Miami is. I think Miami's taking some graduation hits at some key spots. But I think Florida comes out of the gate with an experienced quarterback, and I think that's going to end up being the difference. Nine of the 11 starters on the defensive side of the ball for Miami are either juniors or seniors. So there's a lot of experience on that defensive yep. side of the ball for uh, for Miami. Hey, I'm, I'm curious about this, and I don't know how much studying you've done on this. We were talking about this blue chip index that um, Banner Society now puts out. It used to be SB Nation. They kind of had a brand change. And yeah. the general idea behind it is looking at percentage of the roster is made up of blue chip prospects, so either four-star or five-star uh, players. And if you don't have 50% or more of your roster made up of four- and five-star guys coming out of high school, you don't win the national championship. And it's 15 consecutive years or maybe 16 years in a row where that's been the case. This year there are 16 teams in the country that have got four-star or five-star. 
We hear all the time about the stories of guys that were undervalued coming out of high school that end up being good players in college and make it to the NFL. When you look, though, across the NFL, do you see that same level of talent from high school, four-star, five-star guys, making up the majority of rosters in the NFL? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, you can just start rattling guys off that you know weren't four or five stars. I mean, right now, even though you know, I'd love me some J.J. Watt, and look, J.J. was a walk-on at the University of Wisconsin. But Aaron Donald, you know, who knew about Aaron Donald? You know, when Aaron Donald was coming out of coming out of high school. Now, look, Kyler Murray was a three-time state champion at Allen High School in, in uh, just outside of Dallas. And he, you know, was a top-notch recruit at A&M. But then he goes to Oklahoma, and because he had to sit out of the year, he kind of was off the radar screen a little bit. But that guy was as talented as he comes. I, I think one of the things that, that both college and NFL, uh, both college teams and NFL teams would tell you is, yeah, you've got to have talent. There's, there's no question in that. Because you don't have as much time with these players as maybe you once did. You know, in the NFL, it's the collective bargaining agreement. You can only spend a certain amount of time. Players have to have a day off every five days. So there just comes a point where you can only, you can only do so much with these guys. And at some point, some talented dude's got to step up and make a play uh, that was a bad play call. Those, those kind of things are, are going to happen. Now, in the NFL, you see a lot of times where, you know, players, uh, where they're finding players at places that have developed and turn two stars into four stars or turn a three-star guy into a five-star All-American. I mean, you can find those guys throughout the NFL all over the place. But when it comes down to it, you know, the teams that, that end up winning games, I mean, look, we can talk all about, you know, t- you know Tom Brady was a six-round pick, but they had Rob Gronkowski, just the best tight end in, in maybe the history of the NFL. They had Julian Edelman, who was a seventh-round pick, but he's the best slot receiver in the league, you're still going to win with talent, no matter what, no matter what. And in college, I think the time restrictions are even more so that you only get 20 hours. You're supposed to only have 20 hours a week. I think it's even more so in college. And then in college, you have unbalanced schedules. So you've got a few things, I think, that play into it. But if you recruit four- and five-star talent and then you develop them into NFL talent, then yeah, you're going to be successful. Alabama, Clemson, we've seen that across the board. You know, when Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze uh, had four and five star players, they won 10, 11 games. You know, when Jadeveon Clowney went to South Carolina, J, uh, uh, DJ Swearinger, he went to South Carolina. All of a sudden, they won 10, 11 games, and South Carolina had never done that. Well, they had never had players like Jadeveon Clowney and DJ Swearinger. So I do think there is absolutely no question. You've got to have talent. When you win the championship is when you take that talent and you get it to play above its pay grade, if you will. That, hey, we recruit this guy as a three- or four-star, but he's playing as a five-star. When you get that to happen, that's when you end up winning conference championships, when you end up winning national championships. I don't think there's any real secret why a and went out and got uh, Jimbo Fisher and then a ms program is starting to turn around because there was talent already there and he went and recruited even more talent. And now A&M is probably going to be a consistent top 15 team in yeah. college football for the next how many ever years, however long Jimbo is there. There's no secret why Clemson and Alabama are the top two teams and have been the top two teams for the last three or four years. They get the best talent. 
There's great coaching there, and they're developing that talent as well. I don't think you can have one without the other to be a championship team in either the NFL or college football. John, got about a minute and a half left. Tell me about Jordan Tamu. I'll tell you what. He has really impressed people with the way that he can move, but really what's gotten people kind of excited is his arm strength. I think people are really surprised the, the kind of arm he has. I talked to Carl Smith, the quarterback's coach for the Texans, who I've got to know. He's in his you know, mid, to, mid to early 70s, early to mid 70s. And so he just tells it like it is. And so I said, what do you think of the new guy? Because he had just gotten there. And he goes, I like him. He said he handles the jungle, which I thought was interesting. And when he means the jungle, just handling the pocket and all the, all the stuff that goes around around. He calls it the jungle. He said he handles the jungle well, and he can throw it. I hope they give him an opportunity to throw a little bit more against Dallas, but I think he's really impressed some people with his physical skills and what he's able, what he's been able to pick up in the short amount of time that he's been back here. Is there a chance for him to make the team? Maybe. It depends on when A.J. McCarron's coming back. But worst case, he might get a spot on practice squad, and then he could be in the building all year long, and maybe he's a guy that the next year he becomes the third quarterback or a guy that can work on the roster, but but a practice squad spot for a guy that wasn't here for three weeks, that would be fantastic. And I think that might be where he could end up this year in 2019. Interesting stuff. John, always appreciate your time. Enjoy Dallas coming up uh, later this week, and uh, we will talk to you soon, my friend. Absolutely, Richard. Take care, buddy. Thanks for having me. That's John Harris joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. And you heard what he said about Jordan Tamu. They're impressed with his arm strength in addition to his ability to move. And even if he doesn't make the team, and we'll see how long A.J. McCarron's out, could make a practice squad and then put himself in a good position to potentially make the roster next year. Interesting stuff. That's John Harris from the Houston Texans. You can follow him on Twitter at jharrisfootball. Back with you on Super Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. We're actually going to push things back a little bit with uh, Jay Hobson. He is going to uh, join us in the next segment coming up. Southern Miss will open their season on August 31st, so 10 days from now, against Alcorn State. Then in Week 2, they will hit the road and head to Starkville for a game against Mississippi State. They go to Troy in Week 3. Not an easy place to go. And then in week four, they head to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. So that is a challenging early schedule for uh, Southern Miss and Jay Hobson going into year number four. All right, so some NFL news to get to. Stories of today in the NFL seem to be Antonio Brown's helmet It's almost like we've uh, heard something about that. And Baker Mayfield walks his comments back. So let's start. Did you watch Hard Knocks last night, Borky? Yeah, and... Wait, isn't it on Tuesday nights? Yeah, last night was Tuesday. Last night was Tuesday. (laughs) What did you think today was? Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, Well, at least your week week got a little bit faster. Um. So it's a charade. That's all. That's all it always has been. And there was one point in the show where they showed him because uh, he went through warm-ups in their preseason game at Arizona. Didn't play because of his feet, uh, but he went through warm-ups. And there's a point where he walks up to a teammate. I don't remember which one it was. Doesn't matter. And tells his teammate that the helmet's ugly. 
And that's why he doesn't like it. It's an ugly helmet. Come on. Because it's ugly. Isn't it still silver with a silver face mask and a black Raiders logo on the side? This is because he hates training camp. Dudes hate training camp. This is not going to be an issue week one. Guy doesn't want to practice. He doesn't need to practice. He dislikes training camp. He will play week one, and he doesn't want to be there right now. It's as simple as that. So he shows up, he plays the uh, third preseason game. And if he wins his They're not going to play him in the fourth preseason game anyway. And if he wins his grievance to have the one-year grace period, then okay. Okay. We will uh, we'll press pause on the NFL stuff for now, and we will chat with Jay Hobson, head football coach at Southern Miss. His team will open 10 days from today. Coach, uh, has it, have you made it to that part of camp where everybody's tired of looking at each other and they're sure ready to see somebody in a, a different color jersey? Uh, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Every year as you get toward the end of August, it's uh, you know, you're kind of ready to, to get moving on to the season. Uh Certainly, uh, it's always tough through camps, but you know, I, I'm kind of old school. I've been through some long ones a, a long time ago. That was, it was a lot rougher 20 years ago than it is today. But for sure, I think our kids are ready to uh, they're ready to see another opponent. Jay, everybody always wants to know about health. I mean, that's one of the things that I think keeps coaches awake at night this time of year, hoping that you can get through camp basically healthy. What's the health status of your team at this point? We're actually, uh, you know, knock on wood, we're, we're pretty healthy. You know, there's always some bangs and bruises, Richard, but we're we're, we're pretty much, uh, you know, as healthy as we can be, you know, in, in camp. And uh, that's something that, again, Football is just one of those sports, but uh, again, you, you can't really worry about it. But we've been uh, we've been blessed so far through camp. Walk me through what's going on at the the quarterback position. Jack uh, Abraham comes back, put up good numbers, really efficient. Uh, maybe a couple of games where he'd like a, a little bit of a redo from a year ago. But you had such a good spring out of Tate Watley. Uh, what are you expecting out of the quarterback spot this year? Well, I think there are uh, two quarterbacks that kind of complement each other. Uh, really well, uh, you know. Jack, I think, said both have had good summers and good camps. Um, again, I think uh, we were, you know, at our best down the stretch when uh, both got a little time. And but uh, again, we'll we're excited with what uh, I think. Jack had a great year last year. I mean, I mean, it's number two or three in the country in completion percentage. So that, that's a pretty good year. You know, you have to give kudos there. So so. We certainly are excited about that. And, of course, he got injured and then Tate came in and uh, led our offense well. We were able to beat Marshall, and we we played them both the final game of the season, and I thought we played really well. So, again, you know, it's one of those deals. We'll, we'll you know, we'll have our starter. And, uh, again, you know, but again, we have two quality quarterbacks that can really play. And so we're blessed to be in that position. So, again, I think it was just fair as we go through camp and we'll, We'll name it for sure here coming up here shortly. But again, we feel like uh, we had to open up the competition because both started last year, both led us to victories last year in some games. So again, it's been fun watching. They're both two competitors. The one thing I like about it, they're both outstanding young men and they both, uh, they complement each other. They get get along well in meetings. And and that's, that's a great thing to have in the quarterback room. Again, we were blessed to get a couple of good young quarterbacks there, too, so we feel like we've got a good room in the quarterback room. 
I know different coaches have different opinions about this. How do you feel about the idea of, of playing two quarterbacks at times, well, assuming that they're both healthy and both playing well? With our starter, he, he's going to be our starter. But, again, sure. we we have the ability to play um, the other quarterback. And sometimes, you know, I mean, if you deserve to play a little bit, you deserve to play. I mean, it, it's kind of – I don't care if you're a lineman or a quarterback. You know, it's a – I think both those quarterbacks have complete – respect and complete uh, um, admiration of the entire football team. So I don't think that's ever an issue. You know, a lot of times guys worry about, well, who's the leader of the team? I think both those guys, I mean, are so they're such strong leaders that it doesn't matter. You know, I think the team responds great to both of them. And I think they're both uh, guys that are well-loved and well-liked in the locker room. So uh, we're, we're, we're kind of fortunate in that situation. Is quarterback the most difficult spot to to do that? Because you think about most positions, whether it's on the offensive line or the defensive line or in your secondary with a nickel package or or whatever, you're rotating guys through on the depth chart, but it's a little bit different with the quarterback spot. Yeah, it might be, but, you know, again, we're not talking about just a a revolving door rotation. You know, it's just kind of a, you know, we we just felt like it was the – honest and best thing to do to compete let them compete because they both done played well last year and and again i thought in the spring they they had a they had a fun battle going and that's in football it's about competition and it makes them both better that's what i like because i think we've got two uh extremely talented quarterbacks upper echelon quarterbacks you don't always have that and, and so just to let those guys compete and, and play i think is, a, is an important thing Coach, you don't exactly ease into the season. Alcorn State, which should be a fun environment in week one. Then you go to Starkville. Troy is a difficult road trip, and it just happens to be sandwiched in between two SEC teams. This feels like one of those Southern Miss schedules that we might have looked at in uh, in 1992 or 1995. Yeah, a huge challenge early. It is, and of course, you know, like I said, that's, that's what we do at Southern Miss. But again, we got four non-conference teams that are all bowl teams. Maybe the only... We might be the only team in the group of five that plays four non-conference opponents that are all bowl opponents. You know, so uh, again, I don't know if anybody else in the group of five is doing that. So, but you know, that's Southern Miss. That's our heritage. That's our tradition. Uh, you know, some teams play the lighter non-conference schedules. We always, you know, we're going to play tough schedules. And I think, you know, I think that when guys come to Southern Miss or they sign with Southern Miss, I think that's something. That they understand is you know, they're going to play anybody, anywhere, anytime. That's our original slogan. A lot of teams have have kind of copied that from us years ago, but you know that's Southern Miss, and that's who we are. Last thing from you, we've talked about this a little bit. It, it, it seems like from a university perspective and an athletics department perspective, there's been a huge push to do as much as can possibly be done to make the game day experience for fans as good as it can be. Do you feel that? Does the football team feel that a real big push from the university to try and get people excited about this team and get into the stadium? I think I think we are doing some good things. I think, of course, we know the, the alcohol um, um, bill or whatever passed. We're able to bring that into the stadium. I think, you know, it just creates a kind of an NFL environment. And I think, uh, again, we're, we're – um, we're a football team again. That the first game should be a tremendous crowd at Alcorn. I think, other than the Mississippi State game a few years ago, that was the largest crowd in the history of Southern Miss. So, again, that's a crowd that could could challenge our largest crowd ever at MM Roberts. So uh, that'll be an exciting crowd. Uh, 
again, we're trying to do everything we can to, to make Southern Miss a destination uh, weekend for all our alumni and friends. And, and our, you know, so it's a great tailgate environment. It's a great place. Of course, we got Midtown and all that area that's popped up in the last year and a half. So it's a really cool area when you go down Hardy Street and you look across from the campus. I think there's a lot going on in Hattiesburg. And again, uh, we're excited about uh, the environment. We're excited about the game day environment. So we're, we're really uh, looking forward to it. Jay, always appreciate your time. Know this uh, this final ten days may drag on, but it certainly gets here quickly. And uh, excited for the start of a new season. Wish you guys all the best, and look forward to talking to you soon. Richard, I appreciate you having me. Thanks a million. I know hey, you might be as busy as we are right now this time of the year, Roland, but appreciate everything you do for not only Southern Miss, but college sports in Mississippi. Thanks a million. Great talking to you. That is Jay Hobson, head football coach at Southern Miss. I can assure you I'm not as busy as he is and all these other college football <laughs> coaches are uh, this time of the year. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.